0: For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
1: Seven things you don't really need to know, but probably should. I'm Kira Revin, and this, this is the Sunday Seven. On this week's episode of the Signal Award-winning Sunday 7, we hear about brand new research into long COVID, we meet with AI Will guide. find out why the tiny krill is causing Antarctic chaos, and dive into a new super safe German swimming pool. But first, on this day in 1981, the artificial sweetener aspartame was approved for tabletop use by the US Food and Drug Administration. The sugar substitute became hugely popular, but it was originally invented way back in 1965 by a scientist called James M. Chatler. He'd been researching ulcer medication when he discovered the mixture of aspartic acid and phenylalanine created a sweet taste. Monday saw what might be good news finally for those suffering from long COVID. We're nearly four years into the COVID-19 pandemic and while vaccinations have made a huge difference to the health risks from the disease, those who continue to suffer symptoms long after they've had the virus haven't had much hope. There have been conflicting studies about how widespread long COVID might be with recent criticism of the methodology applied to the tracking of the condition in the early days of the pandemic. Matters have also been complicated by the fact that the symptoms of long COVID, which can include neurological issues like brain fog and memory loss don't immediately show up in standard diagnostic tests but now a new study by researchers in the university of pennsylvania points the finger at issues involving serotonin and the gut abc news chief medical correspondent dr jen ashton explains what they found
0: they looked at people in the midst of a covid infection and then long covid symptoms and found low levels of serotonin which is that feel-good neurotransmitter that kind of is responsible for you know among other things feelings of well- well-being and kind of mood, and found this association, low serotonin with long COVID. We don't know if people with low serotonin levels before they got COVID were more likely to then go on with persistent COVID-19 symptoms or something about COVID caused the serotonin levels to drop. They'll be studying that in the future, but a lot of COVID affects the GI tract, a lot of serotonin is made in the GI tract, so there may be a link there.
1: The research is still in its early days but it suggests that serotonin replacement therapy could help to ease symptoms like brain fog breathing issues and trouble sleeping dr pradeep kumar with austin gastroenterology says the new research has opened up a whole new area for study
0: like anything we you know good studies lead to more questions than right. they lead to more answers right but what this allows us to do is has the opportunity to study it you know we're we can now in a studied atmosphere can check for people that have these viruses or a display lack of serotonin and test therapy you know there are already medications out there that increase serotonin levels serotonin uptake inhibitors are typically antidepressants you know um, and also how about if you just took tryptophan or the precursors of serotonin in your diet would that affect anything so this offers some hope to those people that suffer from long covid uh, that there may be therapy coming around the corner yeah. um, you know it might be a little bit too much for, for people to treat themselves that way. Okay. Um, I think they're gonna have to have some buy-in for the medical community yeah. um, to, to try these things, which at, at some point they will.
1: Russia's war in Ukraine, which has now been going on for over 600 days, has been the most high-tech war fought to date. We've become accustomed to startling drone images of tanks exploding and trenches being hit with grenades as Ukrainian drone operators innovated and brought modern technology to old-fashioned infantry war. There's also been a battle raging in cyberspace, with both sides deploying unofficial armies of hackers. But there really have been no rules of engagement, and hackers have targeted critical infrastructure such as power supply or hospitals. Now the Red Cross is proposing a new set of guidelines not dissimilar to the Geneva Convention which sets out agreed rules for war. Dr Tillman Rodenhauser is a legal advisor at the International Red Cross and he says things can continue as they are.
2: Over the past years we have seen unprecedented levels of civilian hackers taking part in armed conflict. Some have claimed that they have taken down online pharmacies. Some have shown that they can attack public administrations and that they can disrupt e-governance services. Taking down IT services of a hospital and harming a human is very close. But the, the laws of armed conflict, they don't include a permission, a permission of revenge. Limits have been set out, and these essential, fundamental limits must be respected. And what we aim to do is to summarize and simplify them in a way that they can be understood, also by
1: lay people. The hackers don't seem to be pleased with the proposal and say the humanitarian laws, such as those proposed, just don't apply in cyberspace. The Ukrainian hacker group, known as the IT Army of Ukraine, say that their focus is primarily on hindering Russian logistics.
2: It was a ticketing system of the Russian railway. It also, right, not, not so straightforward as it might to, but when you paralyze the railway, you actually paralyze, you know, the old civilian and military units. When we. Uh, took down the uh, aircraft uh, booking system uh, that uh, caused the collapse in the multiple airports. And of course, it's also touched the military efforts, right? Because militaries and civilians quite often use the similar infrastructure.
1: So to come on the Sunday 7, there's a crisis brewing for Krill and we meet the AI version of tech guru Will Gaius. There's a serious row going on in the Antarctic and it's all over the tiny krill. It's a small shrimp-like crustacean that is widely used not just in the Antarctic but also for things like feeding farmed salmon for krill oil and supplements that are rich in omega-3. The issue is though that it's an absolutely critical part of the Antarctic ecosystem and there's a growing concern that the system is at risk as intensive fishing could see krill supplies dry up. Peter Hammer is the director of campaigns for the Sea Shepherd Global Initiative.
0: This is a completely
2: unnecessary fishery. It exists solely to turn the flesh of farm salmon pink and in order to produce omega-3 health supplements for which there are many, many alternatives.
1: Andrea Cavanagh is project director of the Pew Bertarelli Ocean Legacy, which is dedicated to protecting Antarctica's southern ocean. She's concerned that the krill fishing industry is causing real harm.
0: The thing you hear over and over from industry is that the krill fishery is incredibly sustainable because they fish less than 1% of the total biomass. But that doesn't tell the whole story. The krill fishery is having an impact already at a low level of fishing.
1: Logan Palin is a postdoctoral researcher from the University of California and says it's the intense nature of krill fishing which can see a fleet of ships targeting a single area that is causing the issue.
2: What's problematic here is you have a lot of intense fishing happening in a very small area that tends to overlap very significantly with where humpback whales as well as other krill predators are foraging.
1: The krill fishing fleet is highly advanced in terms of technology and a single ship can hoover up to 500 metric tonnes of krill in a single day. That would feed 150 humpback whales. Acker Biomarine is a Norwegian company who run most of the krill fishing fleet and their CEO, Mats Johansen, says that they believe they're not harming the ecosystem. Some people believe we shouldn't fish at all, we should all be vegetarians. Some people believe we shouldn't be in Antarctica at all. But if you, if you look at the challenge we have in the world, we need to
0: explore those sustainable sources of protein we can get. And, and krill is definitely a very sustainable source of, of protein.
1: Each week on the Sunday 7, we catch up with our tech guru, Will Guyatt. But I'm told you've got a special guest this week with you. Is his name Will AIs?
2: That's right, Ciara. I'm Will's artificial intelligence assistant, and I'm here to make him more effective. Well, thanks, buddy. Yeah, I'm just preparing for a future where we all have robot companions.
1: OK, Wills, but will robots really make us more efficient? I've just seen some research that says maybe not.
2: Us robots are friendly, efficient and always helpful. I don't understand. Well, I think what Kira means is this new research is a phenomenon called social loafing. Basically, we're paying less attention when we work with robots. It's a bit like when you have to do business with that nerd in the finance department, who you know will do most of your work. We just don't work as hard if we think a robot or someone else is covering for us.
1: So humans will let robots do all the hard work.
2: So this was research from a German university who say that people eventually see robots as their colleagues when they build trust with them. They had two groups testing faults on circuit boards, one with this robot, and the other without. At first, neither group were told they were working with a robot on their team, and they did a pretty much identical job, but when they told the team with the robot that they had this support, the humans started catching less errors on the circuit boards. Basically, they knew the computer was doing more of the work. Now, I'm not a scientist. But apparently this is called looking but not seeing. And basically, we kick back a bit more when we feel our colleagues are reliable and let them do more of the work. And this could be a real problem in the future, the fact that more robots and artificial intelligence is coming into the office. We're all going to become social loafers.
1: Still to come on the Sunday 7, a significant breakthrough in the battle against prostate cancer and the pool that wants to keep you safe.
0: Right after this...
1: Welcome back. One of the most common forms of cancer for men is prostate cancer but it is a condition which if treated early has a good survival rate. And now there's been more good news as scientists at the Institute of Cancer Research in London as part of an international research project announced they've figured out how to reverse the disease's resistance to treatment. A new experimental drug known only as AZD5069 combined with hormone therapy showed promising signs of reduction in the size of tumours and decreases in PSA levels. Dr. Claire Bromletti is a senior research information man Manager at Cancer Research UK, and she told Sky News that this could be a very exciting breakthrough. So what
2: scientists have shown is that a new drug for prostate cancer could be on the horizon. Specifically, what they did was an early stage clinical trial. They recruited men with prostate cancer whose tumours were no longer responding to treatment. And they found that combining this new drug with a current treatment in one in four of them actually was able to either stop the growth of the tumor wow. and in some cases shrink it so it's incredibly promising and i think what i find really exciting about it is it really just exemplifies the power of discovery research it's about a decade ago when scientists in the lab uncovered this new potential way that we could target prostate cancer and today we're really seeing the impact of that
1: Drowning is one of the leading causes of accidental death in the UK, but now AI may be able to assist in keeping you safe while you're swimming in your local pool. A system called SwimEye is already in use in Switzerland and Scandinavia and now it's rolling out in Germany. It involves underwater cameras in the swimming pool monitored by AI which looks for unusual movement and sounds an alarm. The system is designed to help pool lifeguards not replace them and the company says it's already saved several people from drowning. Matthias Mann is the Deputy Operations Manager at the KOI Swimming Pool in Hamburg, who have just installed the system.
2: If there is an unnatural movement and the system recognizes there is something wrong with the person, it first just monitors. The system recognizes it, takes note of the whole thing and issues a warning, which is highlighted in yellow on the monitor. And if there really is a drowning accident, the system turns red and sounds the alarm.
1: Steve Irwin was a larger-than-life Australian conservationist and TV star known as the Crocodile Hunter. He died tragically in 2006 after an attack by a stingray. But his legacy as a conservationist is living on, with help from his children. A rare turtle discovered by Steve, known as Irwin's turtle, has just been successfully hatched in captivity for the first time. His son Robert explains the significance of the moment.
2: This is one of the highlights of my entire life and one of the most special moments ever for Australia Zoo. This is the very first Alsea I, Irwin's turtle, ever hatched for any zoological facility anywhere in the world. This species is a turtle that Dad originally discovered out in the wild. And for the first time, we've got a little baby And right now, he's gonna get his first swim in a brand new pond. This is a little slice of the wild. It's just so surreal. And all the stories from dad about just how amazing and beautiful they are. I don't get emotional as much. Mm -hmm. Dad and they're really proud mate. Dad would be stoked with that. This has been the Sunday 7. Wherever you're listening, do us a favour and hit the follow button. We'll be back tomorrow at 7am with the regular Smart 7. Have a great rest of your weekend.
0: Written, produced and published by Daft Doris.